one of the fundamental claims of the Christian faith, the sort of basic premise of the gospel, is change. Who you are now is not who you're meant to be always. Sometimes we can resist change even though we want change. We, we can get, get a little upset if someone suggests to us we ought to change and yet we long for change. Well, a fundamental promise of the Christian faith is change. The Apostle Paul puts it like this, from one degree of glory to the next, or one of my favorite Bible verses from the book of Revelation, Jesus announces, behold, I am making all things new, change. The past that haunts and the present that disappoints or the future that worries will all be embraced by the redeeming arms of a Savior who loves you so much he is not willing to leave us as we are, but intends to make us like he is, change. I like the way C.S. Lewis puts it in a book titled Mere Christianity. If we let him, though we can prevent him if we choose, he will make the feeblest and filthiest of us a god, lowercase g, or goddess. Dazzling, radiant, immortal creature pulsating all through with such energy and joy and love and wisdom as we cannot now imagine. A bright, stainless mirror that reflects back to God, though of course on a much smaller scale, his own power and delight and goodness. The process will be long and in parts very painful, but that's what we're in for. Nothing less. He meant what he said. Change. You're not stuck. Ruts don't rule the inconsistencies and duplicities of our lives don't get to dictate our forever future change. A fundamental promise of the Christian faith is change. I have a a therapist friend who says real change begins when we risk vulnerability and are met with love. So let me assure you, you are loved. You are, you are God's beloved, the apple of God's eye, adopted into God's family, named his very own children. That's how much he loves you. So let me risk asking you to be vulnerable. What in you needs to change? I'm not talking about what needs to change in your spouse or with your kids or with your neighbor, colleague, classmate, coworker, I'm, I'm talking about what needs to change in you. If you're willing to be curious in that direction for a few minutes, there's a letter I want to offer to you, dictated by Christ himself, transcribed by St. John, recorded in the book of Revelation, and then sent to the church of Thyatira. It was addressed to them, but it's meant for you too. So what needs to change? Listen to the letter. I, John, your brother, who share with you in the persecution and the kingdom and the patient endurance, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard a loud voice behind me like a trumpet say, write down what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me, and on turning, I saw seven 
golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, dressed in a long robe with a golden sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white as white wool, white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined as in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. His face shone like the sun at full force. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. He reached out his right hand and said to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead and came back to life. And I have the keys to death and to Hades. Write what you see, what is, and what is to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. The seven lampstands are the seven churches. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like a flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love, faith, service, and patient endurance. I know that your last works are greater than the first. But I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet and is teaching and beguiling my servants to eat food sacrificed to idols and practice fornication. I've given her time to repent. But she refuses to repent of her fornication. Beware. I am throwing her on a bed, and those who commit adultery with her I am sending into great distress unless they repent of her doings, and I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am the one who searches minds and hearts and will repay according to the works that you deserve. To the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold to this teaching, what some call the deep things of Satan, I say to you, I'm laying on you no other burdens. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. So those who conquer, I will give authority over the nations to rule them with a rod of iron as when clay pots are shattered, even as I received authority from my father. To the one who conquers, I will also give the morning star. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the church. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's Revelation 1, 9 through 20, and then chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. If you wanted to hit pause, find it in a Bible near you or the smartphone with you, but come back quickly. The invitation to the Thyatiran Christians is change. It's the fundamental promise of the gospel. You're not now, today, who you will be. Change. Out of the infinite goodness of the Father, he sends his Son, and by the work of the Holy Spirit, unfolds his purposes in our lives, and we get to participate. We're not passive observers of the work God is doing in the world. We're, We're active participants in the change God intends for our very own lives. And the invitation to the Thyatiran Christians then and to you now to change begins with repentance and continues by holding fast. Repent and hold fast. Repent, it means 
stop what you're doing and go a different way. Change directions. Switch trajectories. We, we use the word repentance like, like a hammer on nails or an axe on wood. We use it to beat people down. Repent. Even the way the word forms in our mouths makes us look angry. Repent. And it conjures up images for us of an angry and disgusted God who's so mad at all of our bad behavior. But that just doesn't line up with the letter to the church in Thyatira. I know your works. Your love, faith, service, and patient endurance. I know your, your last works are greater than the first. In other words, the Thyatira and Christians are moving forward in faith. Is it, is it possible that the invitation to repent is not because we're so bad, but because God wants so much more for us? God is, God is actually proud of us? Is that possible? Can I say that about God? Is God like the bragging parent and wants more for us? My uh, 13-year-old daughter, Tabitha, she's in seventh grade. She plays soccer. I mean, I don't know. I, just think she's, I don't know anything about soccer, but I think she's pretty good. She, you know, I'll be honest. If I can be honest, she scored a couple goals last week. I was there. Now, when she was in Holland Wreck, a littler girl, I would stand on the sidelines, and I, I've been known to make my feelings known out loud, rather loudly, not in the sort of yell at the refs way, but in the way to go, Tabby, kind of way. And every once in a while, I'll be the only guy on the sideline going, oh, 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 oh. So this year... Tabitha asked me not to come to the games. I've been disinvited. But I promised. I promised. I promised I'd be good. I wouldn't yell or draw any unnecessary attention to her. But then she scored. It was off a set piece, upper left corner. It was so awesome. And I couldn't contain myself. Oh, 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 oh. I have no idea why I'm telling you this, except I'm a proud dad. I know your works, your love faith, service, and patient endurance. I know your last works are greater than the first. What if the invitation to change by way of repentance is not because you're so bad, but because God loves you so much, he wants so much more for you. And don't you want more for you? You know it's not the way it's supposed to be. It's not the way you wanted it to be. It's not all you hoped it could be. You didn't wake up this morning wanting a fractured relationship? You didn't drink your first beer hoping to become an alcoholic? You don't walk into a social setting hoping to be anxious? You don't enter into relationships wanting the brokenness that exists in us and the sin that sometimes surrounds us to get played out in other people's lives. That's not what you want. That's not what you want. Maybe you want something different too. And maybe, maybe the gospel invitation, God wants that for you. Repent, stop, turn. Jesus refers to himself in this letter as the one who has eyes that flame like fire. And then later says of himself, I am the one who searches hearts and minds. The eyes that flame like fire, the one who searches hearts and minds knows. We can kind of hide our stuff pretty well, get dressed up on Sunday maybe, you know. Do stuff that no one has to see under the cover of darkness, but his eyes are like a flame of fire. He searches hearts and minds. When I was a little kid, I 
You know how some memories, they just stick with you? When I was a little kid, I was playing basketball in the driveway of the church parsonage on 24th Street with my little sister, Bex. And I don't know, I I guess I woke up angry that day. I I woke up uh, in a bad mood. So I was just going to take my sister down. She's my little sister. And so I'm, I'm backing her down. I'm posting her up. I'm pushing her around. I'm breaking her ankles with my sweet moves. And she got fed up with it. She threw the ball at me. So I shoved her. She toppled into the grass when I heard a knock at the window, the, the laundry room window that looked over the driveway. And I turned, and it was my mom. She saw the whole thing in my self-righteous indignation. She threw the ball at me. I went up to my mom, and I told her everything. And my mom said, John, I, I saw it all. And I got, I got defensive, and I said, she threw the ball at me. And she said, Johnny, his eyes are like a flame of fire. He searches minds and hearts. We can try to hide, but he knows. He sees. Change begins when we're willing to name the stuff in us that has to stop. It continues when we involve other people in the change journey with us. Notice the letter is written to the entire church in Thyatira, but not everyone is doing the thing that requires repentance. Sometimes you've got to come alongside a brother or sister who's struggling and requires habits and practices that shift our behavior. It begins when we're willing to name. It continues when we involve other people in the journey and requires practices and habits that shift our behavior. The infinite God who loves us so much sent his son, Jesus Christ, and by the work of the Spirit invites us into something new, something different, something better, and we get to participate. And our participation begins with repentance and continues in changed practice like hold fast. Hold fast to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. To you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast to what you have until I come. To everyone who conquers and continues to do my work. Hold fast, continue to do my work. There, there was... The Thyatiran Christians, there was, there was a movement in the church of Thyatira to, not to renounce faith in Christ, that would be too obvious, but to just glom on other faith practices and cultural narratives into and onto their Christian experience. Jesus refers to her as Jezebel. The movement as Jezebel, the infamous woman of the Old Testament who married King Ahab, Ahab, Ahab was Uh, notoriously weak, and Jezebel preyed on his weakness and invited the people of Israel to commingle their faith with the faiths of the surrounding culture. They, They had, much like the church in Pergamum, they had conceded their identity. They had accommodated, they had assimilated, they had commingled their faith with all of the other cultural narratives. And the same temptation they fell to then and the Thyatiran Christians experienced, we know still. An accommodationism, an assimilation, a co-mingling. We're not going to outright renounce Christ, but we're going to just go the way of the cultural script too. Now, Eugene Peterson, in the book titled The Hallelujah Bank- Banquet, puts it like this, referring to this situation in Thyatira. It's April Fool's religion 
and promises two things to make you feel good and to get you what you want. And what chance does deny yourself and take up your cross daily have against that? Feel good. Get what you want. It's the cultural script, and it works its way into the life of the church. A Tim Keller, in an article published the day before lockdown in March 2020, an article titled How to Reach the West Again, offers this. We're entering a new era in which there's not only no social benefit to being Christian, but an actual social cost in many places and culture is becoming increasingly hostile toward faith and beliefs in God, truth, sin, and the afterlife are disappearing in more and more people. Now, culture is producing people for whom Christianity is not only offensive, but incomprehensible. A missionary encounter is not withdrawal from culture into communities with little connection to the rest of society, nor is it an effort to get political power in order to impose Christian standards and beliefs on an unwilling populace, nor is it such an effort to become relevant that the church becomes completely adapted to and assimilated by the culture. Instead, a missionary encounter connects yet confronts and therefore actually converts people. A church having a missionary encounter maintains its distinctiveness. It maintains its distinctiveness. Hold fast. Continue my works until I come again. Hold fast. It maintains its distinctiveness. The change you long for in your life and God intends for your life will not be found by pursuing the cultural wishes and whims of this moment. But rather, when a few of us, a couple of us, and maybe, maybe hopefully all of us together commit to hold fast to the basic Christian practices that have sustained faith for the longest time, like prayer and scripture and spiritual direction, can we maintain our distinctiveness? It's sort of interesting to me in our woke moment, you know, uh, so many more people feeling so much more courage and permission and freedom to follow their impulses and pursue their instincts, and yet, at the same time, loneliness, anxiety, distraction, isolation, all on the rise. What if a few of us held fast, continued to do Christ's work until he comes again? So here's what I want to do. I want to give you a moment to be curious about three questions. Jonathan and the ensemble are going to create a musical space for you. I want you to find a piece of paper and a pencil or maybe your notes app on your iPhone. I want you to consider three questions. What needs to change? Who needs to be on the change journey with you? And what habit do you need to begin to practice in order to participate in the change God intends for your life? I want you to be curious in that direction. I want you to risk vulnerability, knowing you're loved, you're beloved, you're the apple of God's eye, you're adopted sons and daughters. That's how much he loves you. So risk vulnerability. What needs to change? Who needs to be on the change journey with you? And what habit do you need to begin to practice to participate in the change God God intends for your life? One last word from C.S. Lewis. Mere improvement is not redemption. But redemption always improves people even here and now and will in the end improve them to a degree we cannot yet imagine. God became human to turn creatures into sons and daughters. 
not simply to produce better people of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of person. What needs to change to produce a new kind of person? Who, who needs to be on the journey with you to produce a new kind of person? What practice and habit do you need to begin to participate in God's making you a new kind of person? The ensemble is going to give you space. I want you to be curious in that direction, and then Jonathan will invite us to the table.